Hello and welcome to the podcast Big Thoughts, Small Sides, where I interview some of the best coaches in the game to delve into their coaching minds and find their use of small-sided games in their elite performance environments. Today's interview is Troy is the basketball coach for the nationwide renowned Maestro College basketball team who have numerous players progress onto the national stage and across Europe. Troy brings with him a great wealth of on-the-floor experience and looks into how small-sided games fit into his environment and how I can translate that back to football. This should be a really intriguing and thought-provoking conversation. Before we jump into the conversation, if you would like to follow the journey of the Big Thoughts Small Sides podcast and blog, follow my WordPress blog page, Big Thoughts Small Sides. Without further ado, here's the interview. Do you use small-sided games within your environment? And if so, how often? Obviously, this is during a normal season when everything's running to plan. Yeah, so I've, I'm, a, I'm quite a big advocate um, of small-sided games, uh, you know, whether that's you know, a games-based approach, whether that's you know, a constraint-led approach. Um, you know, I think there's there's a number of benefits for small-sided games. I mean, a lot of the research that has come out has been done, you know, within football, um, whether that's you break it down to, you know, seven aside or, or five aside. But, you know, a lot of the research is there, you know, talking about the benefits of small-sided games. It's something that I've tried to use a lot, um, mainly, you know, because it just en- en- enables us to do a lot of different things in a short period of time, whether that is, you know, we break stuff down, you know, 1v1, um, you know, 2v1, 2v2, you know, whatever it is, whether it's advantage or disadvantage to, you know, the offensive side or the defensive side. So, yeah, I would say it's a, it's a big part of what we do. Um, a lot of our breakdown stuff is is done in small-sided games. Um, but then it's also understanding that, you know, when we do play games, obviously we have to play, you know, five on five. So it's always kind of showing things maybe as a whole in this is what it looks like um, because obviously you know, in five and five there's, there is limited space compared to maybe if you're doing three on three. Yeah. Um, but then breaking it down saying, right, you know, these are the decisions we want you to make at this point, but by taking players out and reducing, you know, the playing, you know, the, the diameters of what we're playing within or the numbers that we're using, you're able to make, you know, more decisions, you get more reps. Um, so I think it's always, it's like a sliding scale. Like I wouldn't say, I'm an advocate of let's just play five on five, which I think some people have done in the past. And that's kind of their version of this is what a games based approach is. We're just going to play five on five. And, um, you know, there is that quote that the game is the teacher. And I agree with that. But obviously the context around that is how you use it. And I wouldn't go as far as saying, right, we're, you know, we're going to do no five on five and it's going to be all five is zero traditional. Um, so I think there's always, it's a sliding scale. And I think, you know, depending on who you are, who you're working with, what point of the year it's at, you're going to do different things at different times. But that's kind of a, a long-winded answer. But yeah, I think <laughs> it's, uh, you know, small-sided games is something that I do use. I think a lot of people should use. But I do think there is a large contingent, um, just within basketball, that I know that probably use it in the wrong way. Yeah. So, what what do you believe the benefit of the small set of games are for your team and environment? So, in football, I've interviewed quite a lot of um, kind of first team coaches, and they've said that the benefit that they found was more for the fun fun kind of side of the game. You know, at the end of a session when you know they're just trying to get maybe a bit of technical work in, and a, more for the fun and for the winning kind of aspect. 
But I suppose from your basketball point of view, what what do you believe the benefits are? I think you know funds. Um, that's a massive one. You know, I think you know whenever somebody plays a sport, you know whether it's football, whether it's basketball, whether it's rugby, whatever it is, you play because you want to play. Um, and I think by using small sided games, you you know you're allowing everybody to play the whole game to a degree. Like if we've got twelve players on our roster and we're doing three v three at each end of the court, you've got 12 players that are active for that whole time. Yeah. Um, where I think if you're playing five and five, you might have two subs I and mean, you've got to rotate the subs. So I think that's the, that's the biggest benefit straight away is that you're allowing everybody to play, um, which then generates more touches, you know, more touches, more repetitions. Um, you're then creating, you know, more opportunities, uh, attacking opportunities, whether that is, you know, developing, shooting, passing, dribbling, um, defending opportunities, so you're giving more, you know, more people more chances to defend, whether that is one v one or whatever it may be. Um, I think you know by you know increasing by sorry by removing numbers, um, you increase the space that you can operate with and reduce crowding, which then makes it easier um, for you to make decisions or recognize the decisions that you're supposed to be making within a five v five context. So. Yeah, I think um, it just allows them, you know, more more chance to play um, and experiment with things. So I get the fun element. Um, you know, I've always been a, a big believer in, you know, maybe it's because I work in a performance environment about what is fun and how do we really define fun. Um, you know, is it just a matter of, for some people it is, just turning up and playing a little bit and that's their fun, or is it, you know, from my side of things, you know, working hard, competing, and then that's obviously how we use these these different games, whether it is 3v3, whether it is 1v1, whether it is 2v2. Um, but again, it all comes back to, you know, generating more time for people to play um, and less time for them, you know, watching. Now, we still do stuff, 5v5, um, but I think the most important thing is, you know, and I think it's probably the same for football as well, is... You know, if you're if you've got more time, more touches, and more repetitions of doing something, then you're going to get better technically and tactically of doing it. You know, technically executing the skill, tactically knowing when to do it. Um, so yeah, I kind of that's kind of my my point of view on it. Yeah, 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 yeah. So kind of looking at your coaching journey now. So throughout your coaching journey on 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 different qualification courses, did you just highlight? the small-sided games as a useful training method or is it something that's kind of just recognised within day-to-day coaching? It's, uh, it's, been, it's been a mixture. Um, you know, I think when, you know, when I was doing my, my level one and my level two, um, it was very much here is the skills of the game, um, go and teach them sort of thing. And there was never really any context I think the reason, you know, I struggled with that initially when I was younger is how I would teach something to maybe an under 14 group might be completely different to how I teach something to an under 18 group. Yeah. Um, you know, with uh, an under 14 group, you know, if you link it back to the element of fun, you might be doing, you know, more 3v3. And I've had a season where we've only played 3v3. And then the only time we've played 5 and 5 is when we've stepped onto a game at the weekend. But my biggest thing at the under-14 level was just getting everybody playing as much, you know, and obviously increasing time on task, that sort of thing. Now, you know, when I moved to, 
do my level three and then when I did my level four through through UCLan, it was a bit more, you know, especially with level four at UCLan, it just opened your mind to this is what other people are doing. Um, now, ultimately, it comes back to, you know, how, how you know, what is, what are we trying to work on? You know, what is the problem that we've identified? And once we've identified the problem, the learning objective, whatever it is, it's like, right, well, how can we, how can we get to that? And it might be a situation where, you know what, we can do that in a 5v5 setting and just add a conditioning. You know, we don't need to go small-sided games. Um, or it might be actually, we could drop this down to 3v3 or, you know, if it's, let's say, we're looking at perimeter spacing, um, then we can remove one player because we don't need the post player inside and then we can go 4v4. Um, but again, it's just it's always looking at saying it's using it as a tool and not necessarily like, oh, I have to use small-sided games. Yeah, It goes back to that sliding scale. Um, but I think a lot of it is, you know, not just using it, um, which I think when I was younger, I used it because I saw other people use it. So I was like, oh, well, that coach is a successful coach. I've seen him do this, so I'm going to do it. Um, you know, or I've heard about this person doing it, so I'm going to do it. Where I think as I moved into, you know, academia and I did my master's at UCLan and different bits and pieces, I then started to understand the why for myself. Um, and I think that's then helped me understand, right, well, this is the problem. Okay, a small-sided game is going to fix this problem with this constraint. Let's run with it. Or it's actually, we don't need to do small-sided games today. Um, let's just see where they're at in 5-on-5. Five five. We don't need to manipulate anything at all, really. So I think on that journey, um, I think the more I've been involved in academia, um, the more it's taught me the why and how we do stuff and you know what we might use. Where I think with my... You know, my my governing body qualifications from one to three, I think it was very much, um, here's the skills of the game. Here's how you could teach the skills of the game. Um, you know, and a lot of it was block practice. Um, and then it wasn't until I kind of moved away from that, that I then started to find out things for myself. I think, you know, like, I, mean, I don't know what the football qualifications are like, but, you know, the biggest problem I had with, the basketball specific qualifications was there was no context. You know, it wasn't like, oh, you're working with this age group. Yeah. Um, or this this experience level. It was just very much right at level one, they have to be able to pass, dribble and shoot. Here's some block practice drills on how to pass, dribble and shoot, move on to the next thing, which I think you're missing out a big gap. But Yeah, that's yeah, no, great that um so I'll kind of ask you a two-in-one question here. So are small-sided games a common theme of your weekly training schedule? And where, if they do, uh, and if they are, sorry, where do they come in priority list of training methods? Yeah, um, I think they, you know, they, they are a big part of what we do. Um, you know, they are, because you know, we have, a, you know, we have a lot of kids, you know, it's, uh, you know, we've got maybe like, what, 60 kids in the academy. So you're always looking at, you know, having 15 within a practice session, you know. So sometimes you might go, you know, 5v5v5. Five five. Um, other times it might be 4v4. But I think at, at least some point in every practice, there's, there's some element of 3v3 um, where we've kind of just stripped it back a little bit. Just because I think, you know, in, within our context, it's probably, I don't know, generalizing here about football but 
I think the three v three is probably the lowest that we could go and cover everything. Yeah. Now one v one v one is you know it's great for you know certain things. Two v two is great for certain things, but I think three v three is kind of that on the money where it's we get to cover a lot of the team concepts we would use in five on five. Yeah. But then still also give enough time to look at you know the one v one opportunities. So we'll do three v three at least once in a practice for some for something. Um, you know, in some cases we may just set up a a continuous drill and then that might might use the same drill for a bulk of that practice and we'll just change like for the first five to, or ten minutes we're gonna use this constraint and then we're gonna use this constraint and then whatever constraint we use will give us a different emphasis. You know, so if we're looking at reducing um, you know, the time you've got to shoot, then we might obviously try and be emphasizing our ability to play quicker um, and emphasizing our transition offense. If we're, um, you know, within that again, depending on, you know, if we want to work on certain things, you might then remove a dribble, you know, and then we're looking at then, okay, how are we moving off the ball? You know, what are we doing to create space for our teammates? So I think the base of 3v3 is something we use a lot. One, because we have a lot of kids in the practice and we want everybody to, to get touches, you know, where if you're only doing it, five on five um, and you've got five guys sat out in that five minutes you're doing a drill they haven't got a repetition where if you're doing it three on three they're getting touches as well I think that's a big thing especially at the youth level that everybody needs to be getting um, everyone needs to be getting touches um, as uh, as coaches you know we can't be too eager to help the players out yeah. you know I think you just got to give them time to figure stuff out which is why it's important to have that that time on task um, you know, you just let them, you know, in a way, you just let them figure stuff out. And I think that's a big part of of an environment is, you know, at the youth level, results don't really matter. Um, yeah. And it is about, you know, what are we doing at under-16s to prepare this player for under-18s? Or under-18s, what are we doing to prepare this player to play under-20s? So it's always, you know, where do we want them to be? And I think a big part of that is allowing them time to do stuff rather than, and I've seen it, and I've definitely done it earlier on in my career, where it's, you know, the best players get the more touches, the best players tend to get the more feedback in the practice, and, you know, there's always that eight-odd adage of, you know, your top-end group you speak to, you'll speak to probably your your bottom one or two players because you really want them to try and improve, and then you end up with that middle pack where they're not really getting anything. So, yeah, I think it's, a big thing. Um, we try and use it a lot. I would encourage, you know, I encourage people to use it a lot. But then again, it comes back to, you know, why are we doing it? You know, are we using a small-sided game because, you know, with, with Twitter the way it is now and different things like that, everybody sees everybody doing it. So therefore, if I'm not doing it, I'm missing out. Or are we doing it because I want to work on this specific thing and this is the best way for me to do that at this moment in time? So I think that's the, the the questions we've always got to ask ourselves. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you've you've kind of hinted that you believe in that you know the small sided game can be translated into the bigger game through use of three v you know saying your three v threes are kind of the, the lowest numbers you could go where you can replicate you know full full scale events. But kind of why why do you believe that? And and yeah, I kind of want to know why you believe small sided games can be translated into the bigger game. Yeah, I think well, I think traditionally, um, you know, basketball practice tended to be um, let's look at something two v zero, 
Uh, it was a lot of two-man actions, or there's a lot of three-man actions. Um, and that's kind of how the game's been broken down over the years. It's kind of, I could do a bunch of different things with you, and if we had a teammate, the three of us could interlink and do something to it, you know, whether you've got two players on one side or three players on the other side. Um, and what tended to happen was, you look at stuff in 2v0, um, you look at stuff in, in 3v3, and then you get to the end of practice and you play a bit of five and five and you go to your game at the weekend and you know during the practice your team looks fantastic um, because there's no real pressure there's no real you know competitive element it's just we've got to go through these pretty patterns you know like if I do this he does this um, or whatever it is and I think it's kind of changed more so now in terms of you know what are those two-man actions and three-man actions um and then once we've gotten down, like we'll still do block practice, you know, we'll still we'll still do stuff on air um, for the players to understand it. But then it's not going to be let's do it on air for thirty minutes and then play five and five and expect them to see that two man action. And we've now added six other players to to the mix. Yeah. So I think it's really important to kind of always bounce back and forward. So it might be okay. Um, we're looking at. Um, when I drive to the basket, you know, what are you doing? You know, like if I drive one way, where are you moving to create a passing window? Okay, so let's let's do this 2v0. Okay, very quickly, I go this way, you go this way. Right, we've got it. Well, now let's, let's add in one defender. Um, and now it's kind of like, okay, well, is my passing window open? No. Right, but then is my driving window open? Yes. Right, I'm going to go and score at the rim. Yeah. If my driving lane's taken, well, the passing window's open. Right, now I can pass to him. Okay, now once they've got that and they're, and they're having a lot of success with it because they've got the advantage in numbers, right, we'll add the second defender in, now it's 2v2. Um, and I think that for me, that's the biggest thing. It's kind of going back to, you know, we want more touches, you know, we want more opportunities for them to, to make decisions on both sides of the ball, whether it's attacking or defending. Um, you know, the, the 3v3 is, you know, you could go 3v3 and cover all the actions in a game. You can go 2v2 and cover most of the actions, but some of the more complicated actions, the higher level stuff, you could do 3v3. So it just makes sense. Like, and I think this is where, you know, there's no magic potion. It just it makes common sense. Yeah. You know, like if, if we want to get better at, if we run a, a pick and roll with two players, and as I come off the screen and one player goes to the basket and then the corner lifts because his man has gone and helped on the player roll into the basket, well, let's work on that. Yeah. And if we work if we work on that in 3v3, we might get, you know, 10, 15 good repetitions in a, a three-minute spell. Where if we do it 5-on-5, five five, yes, those three players might still get those same repetitions, but then you're going to have four players which are not even involved in that repetition. Yeah. Which actually you could get them going down the other end and then working on that repetition. Um, and then you can add them in at a different points. So I think it's it's just flipping back and forth and it goes back to you know, what is the problem? What is the best way we can tackle that problem? And just use some common sense, um, which I think, you know, sometimes you'll get caught up in things. And it's like, look, if this is a two-man action, well, let's just work on a 2v2. And once they've got it, now we can add in extra defenders. But what will tend to happen is if we go 5-on-5 straight away, we're so focused about all the other stuff 
that we're not really are we really focusing on what we should be focusing on so i think it's just kind of remove some of those distractions and then obviously when you know, when they start to have success you kind of move the goalposts and say yeah. right okay now it's we're going to give you something else to think about and you're going to have to adapt to that and adapt to that so yeah i think it's it just makes sense to me yeah, um, yeah. you know in, <laughs> in the easiest possible way it just makes sense you know if if something requires this then let's let's work on it with that and then when they're ready we can move back to the bigger picture yeah definitely so what type of player do you believe benefits the most from the small side of games and why so could it be the point guard who's you know handling the ball a lot more or is it the center who's getting into good positions or you know who is it or is is there a key player that benefits the most or is it kind of a, a whole holistic team approach I think it's the latter. You know, I think you know, we go back to you know what you know what I think uh, the the goal of a youth environment is, and that's you know in my environment now, it's about you know are we preparing players to play senior basketball? You know, five years from now, ten years from now, you know, or is it oh we can we can win at the weekend if we do this? Yeah. Well, if that's the case, then our best players get all the touches. We win at the weekend, we might win a national title, but. Five years from now, how many of those kids are actually still playing basketball at a good level? Um, and I think it's you know, our job as academy coaches um, is about developing these players as best we can, and not kind of putting them in a box to you know, like, okay, well you're you're six, you know, you're six seven right now, and you might be our tallest player. Therefore, you're going to stand underneath the rim. Yeah. Okay. Well, when that six for seven player then goes out to America on a scholarship. Um, and then there's a whole breadth of players which are taller than him and bigger than him. He's now like, well, I can't do what I had success doing before because they're better, stronger, whatever it is, and I can't do anything else. So I think it is about, you know, are we giving everybody, no matter who they are, opportunities to do everything that they should be doing? That's opportunities to shoot, that's opportunities to pass, to dribble, to play defence. Um, and then, okay, like, you get to certain points where we've had it here at the academy where, you know, there are some players where it's like, look, at this moment, we'll have more success if you're doing this. So they'll go and do it. But in a different game, it's like, okay, you know, you will have more success if you do this. So it's about, are we developing their toolkit? You know, I think if I use a football analogy, it's kind of like, you might have someone who's incredibly good with their right foot, but it's important that, they still develop their left foot yeah. and their ability to touch, pass, whatever it is with their left foot because, you know, you're going to get to a point where, okay, you might be playing under 16 football and you're a really dominant striker with your right foot. Well, then when you move up a level and they start influencing you towards your left and every time you take a touch with your left, you, you know, lose possession, you're now going to be exposed. So I think it's important that you're exposing players when they are in a youth environment, a development environment, um, Yes, everybody wants to win. I'm not going to sit here and say we don't want to win. Um, but it's actually, you know, yes, winning's nice right now, but it's not the priority. The priority is about, you know, developing these kids, like you said, in a holistic way that they can do everything. Yeah. Um, and of course, as they move up levels um, and the competition level gets harder, the standard of play gets harder, what they're able to do might change. Um, but it's really important to give them that foundation rather than they get to that level and it's I can't do this because I've never been taught it rather than well I can do it I've just got to adjust how to do this within my new environment 
um, rather than they go to that environment. And it's now, you know, if you're, I don't know, you sign a professional contract at, you know, Man City, for example, as a first team player, there's probably less time to try and work on something that you should have already worked on beforehand. Yeah. Um, because then at that level, winning is really important because people's jobs are on the line. Yeah. Um, but again, like I say, I think it's, you know, at the moment I work in a development environment, even with the national team stuff that I do. Um, you know, I'm the head coach of Great Britain's under-16s. And even at that level, you know, yes, they want us to get promotion out of the B division to the A division. But actually, it's more about if I get the foundation right, more of those players are going to have success at under-18s and under-20s. So it is all for me. It was always about you know, just increasing those opportunities that everybody gets a chance to develop. And okay, some people do things better than others, but everybody should get that chance. Yeah, yeah. So looking, moving on a bit to, towards a more kind of step back and look at the club philosophy. So does does playing small sided games align with with the club philosophy? So I'll give you a bit of a football example. So if a team. Um, is known for like a Stoke that that, that they like to play long in a small sided game would I see your team maybe play long or you know I can't think of a basketball example off the top of my head that's fine Um, I would say so now Um, you know I think in the past it's been you know we've we've had different systems and it's been kind of we've done this for one year um, we've then done this for one year and you know, we had success, but the question that was always asked was, you know, are we having success because we're one of the better academies in the country and we've got a bunch of national team players? Yeah. Or are we having success because of the style of play that we're that we're running? Um, and I was fortunate enough a couple of summers ago to be in Israel for the under-20 um, European Championships. And the head coach that I work with here at the academy he was the assistant on the Great Britain team that was there. I was there as part of a, a coaching course. Um, and we came back from that and watching how, you know, teams like Spain played and Israel played, it was incredibly free-flowing. Um, and it comes back to that point of just, you know, that holistic approach where, you know, all the players had a lot of tools in their toolkit, which then increased what they could do. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, when we came back and started having conversations, it was just understanding that, you know, there's four phases to the game. You know, you're going to be on offence. There's going to be a transition after that to, to defence. Then you're on defence and there'll be a transition to, to offence. You know, you kind of work always through those four phases and it would be no different in, in football than any invasion game for that matter. But it's just saying, like, what is going to help these players at the next level? We could run a specific system, you know, so like, for example, you're saying, you know, long ball in football, like we could do that, or we could be a very, you know, zonal defensive team and that could, you know, give us some success right now. But it's about, we don't know where our players are going to end up. You know, we don't know whether they're going to go and sign in Europe, they're going to go to America, whatever it is. So it's really important, you know, we just kind of took a step back and said, let's just remove set plays. Um, and then we kind of really hammer home how to play as opposed to what to play. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's not necessarily important to, to play a long ball game or, you know, whatever it is. It's more important to understand if, if we need to play a long ball game because we're playing this opponent, can the guys execute that? Yeah. If we don't need to do that because this team's really good at defending a long ball game, can we adapt to that? You know, are we adaptable to whatever's happening 
at any moment. Um, so that's kind of how we've changed things. And then I think, you know, over the last, this is our second year of doing it, that's where there's been like an increase in small-sided games, um, you know, whether it's, you know, we will go all, you know, from 5v5, 4v4, whatever it is, but we're always building up and down um, and then kind of taking a defender away to give an advantage or whatever. But there's definitely been a big increase in that when we took the stance of we're going to teach you how to play. Um, just because it doesn't matter about, you know, what system we're running, what formation we're running. It's more about, okay, if you go to this place and the coach asks you to do this, can you do it? If you then go to this place and the coach asks you to do something different, can you then do it? Yeah. And I think that's kind of the brand that we're trying to build is that when a kid comes out of our program, coaches are like, okay, he's got a good foundation. Now, he might not be able to play the long ball game at a super high level, but he's got all the tools that actually, after some time in that system, he's going to be able to adapt to that system and be beneficial rather than, you know, he goes to that place and the coach is asking him to do something. He's like, oh, you know, I've never done that before in my life because I played this way for four years at my previous place. And then that could then impact him, whether he plays, whether he doesn't play, whether he gets loaned out, whether he gets transferred, whatever it is. So, yeah, yeah, we've definitely made a, a shift in that. Um, and I think it's because at the highest level we saw it, you know, because at, at the under 20 Europeans, a lot of those guys are already paid professionals. There wasn't too much structure. Uh, the point guard wasn't, and you see it, you know, under 16 level, the point guard calls a set play, they run the set play, they get a shot. Yeah. Um, at that level, it's kind of, okay, you know, the point guard's not going to be able to get to that middle of the floor and call what he wants every time. It might be, you know, he's weaker going left and he is right. We're going to influence him to the left. He's now on the left wing. How do we adapt to that? Okay, we're going to do this, this and this. So I think that, that kind of hammered it home for us um, because we saw it live and we're like, this is, this is what we want. Like, if this is, you know, we want to develop players like this, then we have to make a change in how we operate. Yeah. And it's been really good. And it goes back to, like you were saying before, the kids are having fun with it. Yeah. Because no one's being pigeonholed. You know, everyone's getting a chance to do everything. Um, and then, okay, if they're trying to do something which they're not having success with, that's when you have those conversations. And you're like, okay, look, you want to do this, but right now you're struggling with it. Here's some things you can do in your own time to try and close that gap. So I think in a way we've actually been, we're doing more coaching now than we were doing because it's a lot more individualised. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so just to kind of hone in just for the last two or three questions on you as a coach now, Troy, if that's okay. Um, yeah. do, as a coach, do you step in during these small side of games or do you more leave the players to it to find their own kind of way? Um, it's a balance. You know, I think it's, uh, you know, at the end of the day, like, we're still, you know, we still, we still are the coach. Um, you know, we, you know, we not necessarily have all the knowledge, um, but there's going to be times where, you know, you let them play through their mistakes, which will then increase their ability to be adaptable. Um, you know, but I think it's understanding uh, the approach I kind of use is, you know, we'll teach something. Um, then we'll test it, and that could be testing it via a small side again. And then we, don't, you know, we then need to step in and maybe tweak something. And that could be, depending on where we're at and you know the time of the year or whatever it may be, um, I say something very quickly, 
um, just kind of like a quick, you know, buzzword or a quick phrase that might recenter people. And then we go back and we test it again and we come back out. Or it might be, you know, I might just step in and pose a question to the group and be like, okay, um, you know, how could we, you know, how could this improve? Or what do you know? What do you think about what's happening right now? Just to kind of see where they're at. So there is times we would step in. Um, it's not necessarily stepping in and then, like I say, because time on task is a big thing for us. And a story I can give you quickly is I remember I worked with a Spanish coach in Kent a few years ago, and he had uh, two stopwatches. The first stopwatch he started at the start of practice and finished an hour and a half later. The second one was he'd stop and start it every time I was speaking. And then at the end of the session, he was like, okay, you know, you had an hour and a half session. How long do you think you spoke for? And then and I'm like, oh, I don't think I spoke that long. And he's like, you spoke for 22 minutes. And I was like, okay, shit. Um, and it made me realize, like, that one simple action made me realize that's 22 minutes where the players could be doing something and they weren't. Yeah. You know, and he kind of, he kind of said to me, like, you know, don't speak in paragraphs, don't speak in long sentences. It's going to be, you know, quick phrases, quick buzzwords. And that kind of links into, I know, it, I don't want to go off topic, but, you know, like your your positive reinforcement, um, your positive self-talk, whatever it is. Like sometimes you could just say a word from the sideline. You don't necessarily need to stop the drill and that player's going to remember, okay, I've got to do that. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think it's just, you know, trying not to be too eager to help. Like, yes, we have the answers, but I have the answers because this is my, you know, 14th year of coaching. Um, I've been in some high-level environments. I've been around some high-level players. The 16-year-old, 17-year-olds that I'm working with right now haven't had those experiences. Yeah. And it's up to us to kind of tease it out of them. Um, but again, it's just having that patience. You know, like the younger the player is, the less experienced the player is, the longer it may take for them to connect the dots. Um, and there'll be some times where they, the player might turn around to you and say, just tell me the answer. And I've had that. You know, like players, sometimes they just want to know. Like, yes. This is the problem. What do I need to do to fix it right now? Okay, do this. Okay. But then it's the, that can't always be the answer. And obviously it's about educating them to say, look, you know, if, we, if we're talking about long-term learning and your ability to you know, retain something that you've done and transfer it to a different situation, you have to be able to do that. Um, and I can't always give you the answers. So, yeah, I think it's, I do step in. I probably step in less now than what I used to which is good, uh, mainly <laughs> because, you know, I've had a couple of observations where it's like you have spoke too much, you have got involved too much, you've asked a question and then given your opinion of why someone's done something rather than allowing them to tell you why they've done it. So, but you know, again, that's the, you know, that sort of support I had came when I was doing my master's degree. Yeah. But that's, that sort of support people should be getting when they do a level one, level two, because I don't know what it's like in football, but... For basketball, it tends to be you do your level one and then you're helping out with an under-14s team at the weekend. Yeah, um, yeah. And then it's kind of like, well, if you don't get that right, some of those under-14 kids may never play basketball again because they might have had a bad experience. Yeah. Um, so it's it's tough because, you know, you always call in question. Like, the narrative that was spun in basketball was you start off young. Once you, once you start to improve as a coach, you start to move up age groups and start to work with better players. But actually, you know, you still need good level coaches at the younger age group to get the kids set up on the right track. Um, but yeah, so I, I think 
it's allowing them to problem solve. I think it's the best way to say it now. Like I'm happy to to sit back and just watch them figure it out. And it's the same when we play, you know, full sided games at the weekend. Like, you know, I don't, I don't need to be running up and down the sidelines screaming and shouting, telling them what to do. I think that's another you know misconception with coaches. I can, I can sit down on the sideline, manage substitutions, and just let them try and figure stuff out. Yeah. And yeah. okay, like if if there's times where I, okay I need to call a timeout and just recenter them, i you know I, I can do that, but I shouldn't be dictating everything from the sideline. Um, you know, now I might do more in practice through the use of small sided games, for example, and setting up an environment for them to figure stuff out. But then when we get to the game, just let them figure it out. Like, we don't need to, you know, and I, I think back to when I was younger, you know, like when I, when I was playing when I was younger, there wasn't any coaching, there wasn't any referees. It was just, you know, back, I, you know, I played football before I got into basketball. It literally was, you know, you put jumpers down for goalposts and you just play. Yeah. You're just figuring stuff out. Yeah, yeah. And I think I think that's lost on some people, but <laughs> there we go. <laughs> uh, last question. Uh, last question, Troy. Um, so, in terms of session or practice design, what are you considering when using small sided games? So, you know, if you're you're trying to encourage a certain aspect of the game. Um, I, it, you know, I'll give you a, just a random example. So it might be trying to play, get the ball into the corner for a shot. Um, so would you add any maybe constraints or, you know, different things, different kind of methods that you'd use to promote your session design? Mm-hmm. Um, I think uh, one of the biggest things I learned when I started getting into this more was just every action has a reaction. Yeah. So whatever we do, there's going to be uh, a flip side to that, you know. So if we're if we're looking at constraints, which we you know we've done, you know, time is the first one, you know. So how can we nip- manipulate time, you know? So if we reduce the shot clock and the time you have to score, that's going to naturally tell us to play quicker or make a decision quicker. Yeah. Um, if we manipulate a dribble, um, you know, like I said before, then that might increase ball movement opportunities to screen opportunities to pass because we're limited in that sense if we manipulate the boundaries and reduce the space you can operate in um you know you're then increasing you know the stress that a player may go under and it also increase the time sorry how quickly they have to make a decision if you reduce players you know like you do a lot of small-sided games then you're going to simplify the game you know but obviously you're going to reduce some of the potential options but that might allow you to focus on one or two things that you really want to focus on. Um, you know, you can manipulate scoring, you know, so if there's something that you want, um, you know, you're emphasising a certain aspect of the game, and you can score the small-sided game to favour that, you know, or give bonus points when someone does that so they can recognise it. Um, and then the last one, which I don't tend to do a lot, is you do put specific rules in, you know, so when you when you catch the ball, you must do this. Um and that could be, you know, if we use the football analogy we used earlier, if you're very right foot dominated, it might be in this, you know, small-sided 3v3 game, you can only receive the ball with your left foot. So your first touch has to be with your foot your weakest with, and then yeah. you can do what you want after. Yeah. We're working on that specific thing. Um, and I think, you know, outside of that, again, it's just understanding that, you know, you kind of just flip it around. You know, so if you increase the space, 
you know, you, you're going to obviously either simplify or make it more complex. You know, the same for the advantage. You know, if you if you want to simplify it for offense, then you might play three three offensive players versus two defensive players. If you want to make it harder for offense, let's say you're trying to work on you know breaking down a zone defense, you might have two offensive players versus three defenders. Yeah, you know, but it's, it's always understanding it's either going to be one way or the other, and it's about you kind of just moving that sliding scale to say, okay, you know, when we're looking at our practice design, um, and our practice design changes like a lot of the time, it will be the first couple of months when you're trying to get things in place and try and lay a foundation it's a bit different but to keep it fresh like one of the things we've done in the past is um you know what was our biggest weakness at the weekend and they'll be like oh we really struggle with this okay well then let's start with that and see where we're at and that could take us in a, that could take us in a different way during that practice or it can take us somewhere else um but again it's just it's just looking at different things like that you know or it's just set up a game to start with you know let's say you know, the first thing you do in a football practice is right we're going to play seven aside uh we're going to put you know five minutes on the clock you're going to play seven aside and then once the five minutes up we're going to bring you in and say right what was the biggest issue in that game and they could be like it's this okay well let's target that now well it could say something different well let's target that so it's it's not being too rigid in it like yeah. it's having like an overview of saying right you know at certain points of the year we want to be able to do this because we've still got a a curriculum that we want to work through you know so by october we want to do this by november we want to be able to do this but then it's just understanding if there's a glaring weakness at any point let's just target it um because it needs to be addressed so yeah i think it's just more i think that's what i got from the master's degree is just not being so rigid in your planning like you have to have a plan for sure but then understand that you know everything looks good on paper um and looks good to some degree in a practice session when you're being defended by players that know what you're trying to do. But then when you actually come up in a competitive environment, it could all go out the window. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, that's why I think small sided games are great, you know, just because you're able to go against live defense all the time. Yeah. Um, you know, and I think there's a, there's a quote I saw a while back and I've got it in my notebook is, you know, I would bet that, you know, defense played a large part, if not almost every part, of a mistake your team made last year. And it's like when you when you hear that, like if I look at every time we turn it over in a game, for the most part it's because of defense. Like it's rare. Like sometimes we'll just get you know, dumb shit where like a player will dribble it off his knee and lose the ball or something just ridiculous. <laughs> but for the most part it's you know, I've dribbled to this space and I've been trapped, which has then forced me to do this. Or uh, a defender's forced me to go somewhere I don't want to go and I've then made a bad pass. So I think, you know, defence is involved in every aspect of it. So let's try and make defence involved in every aspect of what we're trying to do in practice. Yeah. Um, and again, which I think moves away from, you know, like I say, traditional practice, which was very much, let's do stuff on air. Like this is our, this is our fancy patterns, you know, with no defence. And then we're just going to parachute defense in at the end. Or actually, if we break it down and kind of have, you know, two v zero, add a defender. Okay, you know, make some easier decisions. Add, you know, add a second defender. Okay, now it's a bit too even and out balanced. Right, add another defender. If you gradually build it, those players get better at making those decisions. So, yeah, like I think it's it is a big part of what we do. Um, you know, I think it's a big part of what everybody should do. But like I said before, it's 
I think the most important thing is do coaches understand why they're doing something? You know, are they doing it because that's what's needed in that moment for their players at that point in their development? Or is it just, oh, I've seen somebody else do this, therefore I need to do it. Yeah. And, you know, and then that's when you don't understand why you're doing it and it's kind of like, well, you're missing a trick. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Troy, thank you so much for that. Um, it's given me a lot to think about, definitely, in terms of how I can transfer different stuff from basketball to football, definitely, and, and how you see pictures compared to how maybe the football coaches see pictures. It's given me a lot to think about in terms of my session design and, and how I might use small set of games. I, uh, I appreciate that. What I found interesting about that conversation with Troy was how training was promoted through different approaches, such as the constraint set approach, teaching games for understanding, and the games concept approach to cater for individual needs in a short training time. As well as this, I love the way they chunk the information into smaller steps, which links to what Roy V said about how it allows performance to break down the performance process into smaller, more achievable stages. On top of this, I like the way Troy increased reps with smaller numbers, which allows for clearer decision-making due to less external cues and allows performance to develop good basic habits of playing the sport. I also like that Troy questioned some key thoughts and beliefs around training and provided a more critical point of view with thoughts like what actually is fun, how do we define it, and does it alter for different learners. Finally, Troy highlighted the simple translation from basketball to football. We barely talk sports specific, more about the people and the impact small-sided games have on them, which can be translated across a multitude of sports. I'm intrigued to try and implement the core themes of mine and Troy's conversation, such as being more reflective and questioning what I'm actually doing and how does it achieve my objectives for the session, as well as this, to look deeper into understanding who my players are and how I can cater for their individual needs. I am looking forward to applying some of these core themes to my training in order to develop my professional repertoire. Thanks for listening to the Big Thoughts Small Sides podcast. Be sure to follow the journey on my WordPress blog and also the podcast, which you can find on Spotify and Apple Music.